Well, it's a real delight for, uh, for Jackie and I to be back. We've uh, enjoyed the friendships of this church. As some of you know, we lived in Easton, PA for 14 years and moved up this way when we began the Shepherd's Ministries 14 years ago so that we would be more centrally located in the Northeast. And I represented Shepherds traveling around uh, the Northeast, uh, promoting the ministry, raising funds, uh, reporting back to donors and churches that supported the ministry. And this morning, it's kind of, it's different. I'm here, I'm, I'm not promoting anything. Aren't you relieved, except the goodness of God, that's it. And uh, so this is, uh, actually, this is the first opportunity I've had to speak since retiring from Shepherd, so I have no idea what it's going to be like, you know. So, so we'll experiment here. Um, this has been quite a morning for you folks. I walked in and, and see you had a national uh, preacher. Uh, videotaped. He was, David Jeremiah was speaking, and uh, he is a distant relative of mine, by the way, through my father's family. And, uh, and then Chiz Ryder, which is better than caffeine. And, and uh, so here we are. So now you have to uh, listen to me for a little bit. And uh, I'm reminded in scripture, it says, he that compareth himself to others is not wise. Uh, I play a little bit of trumpet Believe me, he makes it look much easier than it really is. And uh, so you, I'm sure you're in store for a blessing tonight uh, for, uh, for the concert that Chiz will bring. Well, uh, today, folks, I would just like to challenge our thinking about what we believe about God. Uh, how we respond to the circumstances of life has everything to do with what we believe about God. Uh, Shepherds, July 17th, uh, 2017, uh, experienced a devastating flood. There was $225,000 worth of uninsured damage. Uh, it affected residents, it affected the college, it affected volunteers. We had a volunteer lost their car in a flood. We, don't, we are not in a floodplain, uh, but the flood was devastating as the blacktop just filled up with flood six inches in just a couple hour span of time but wasn't able to drain off and I was having dinner with a pastor up in Maine um, shortly after the flood and he says doesn't it make you wonder why why would God allow that what could possibly be the purpose and I'd have I had to say Stan I, I, I just have no idea I have no answer but I do know this, how we respond to the sovereign purpose of God depends on what we believe about God. I heard one speaker say recently that, you know what, it's all in your head. And it is. It is what you believe about God. Uh, we hear the news, yesterday's news, uh, 500 homes destroyed, thousands of people had to abandon their homes because of the fires in California. A couple of firemen were killed. A great-grandmother and two children were lost, I understand. Two policemen in L.A. were, uh, were shot, intervening in a family dispute. Uh, and then we hear about a miraculous rescue of those 13 Taiwanese soccer players in the uh, cave that was being flooded, which was national news. I'm sure many of you probably followed that uh, at the expense of one of the divers. And uh, the question is, will we accept God's will and how he works? 
And my concern this morning, really, is what do you believe about God in the midst of your joys, in the midst of your disappointments, in the midst of your discouragements and your storms? And I don't know what your storm might be today. Uh, It might be an unexpected diagnosis. It might be an illness. It might be a loss of a loved one, loss of employment. might be financial stress, a breakdown in relationship. Um, But our response is all about what we believe. And I would like to propose today just two anchors for the storms of life. Um, Two mental anchors that I think will really help us. I love to fish. And when I retire, I hope to fish a little bit. And I haven't fished yet. I've been, as Craig said, I've been working on the house. Uh, Someone said to me as uh, earlier today says, uh, I said, I I retired and I haven't been so busy in a long time. And he says, and you also have a new boss too. Well, yes, I guess that's true in a way. And uh, Jackie has her list and I'm working away at it. Um, I love to fish. And uh, when you fish in a lake, we would go up to Beltsville Reservoir and I would fish. And if you, if it was a slightly windy day and you wanted to fish a particular hole in that lake and you wanted to face a particular direction, it wasn't enough just to drop one anchor in the nose of the boat. You needed an anchor on both ends of the boat to keep you faced in the right direction, to keep you from drifting. And today I'd like to suggest two biblical anchors that will keep us from going into mind drift, mental drift, and end up in a whirlpool of doubt. Those two biblical anchors are summarized in just two phrases, each have four words. One is, great is thy faithfulness. Spoken by Jeremiah in Lamentations 23. Um, The other is the Apostle Paul speaks as God has spoken to him and records these words in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient. So here's the two anchors, folks. Number one, great is God's faithfulness. Number two, sufficient is God's grace. Let me put just a little meat on that. Why do these stand out? I think it's interesting to note that in both of these situations, these are spoken against dark background, against in, in the midst of difficult circumstances that these biblical characters were experiencing. When we, think, when we turn to Lamentations 3.23, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. We'll spend just a few moments there. Lamentations 3.23, that's one of the 23s you ought to add to your memorized repertoire. And as we look at the context of, uh, of Lamentations 3.23, we find the temple was in ruins after it was destroyed by the Babylonians in, in 586 BC. And worship was disrupted. It was a dark moment for God's people. They were in despair. And the prophet uh, Jeremiah in verse 19 is pondering the devastation that they've experienced and how it has humbled Israel and how it has humbled his soul. And he's encouraged because he says, oh yes, I know that God remembers the humble and the afflicted. In fact, Psalms 138.6 says, though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he sees from afar. He sees the proud coming, he knows the proud heart. 
So in verse 21, Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. He's reassured of Jehovah's mercy. We are not consumed. His compassions or his steadfast love fails not. And they, he goes on to say, they are new every morning. And I believe when he says that, it's an allusion to the manna of old with which God kept the people of Israel alive in, in the desert. Kept them from being consumed. And a revenant, a revenant remained for a new beginning. And to you in the storms of life, in the deserts of life, I think Jeremiah is seeking to say, we are sustained by the daily manna of his steadfast love. Great is thy faithfulness. Now here's a question. How are you judging God's faithfulness? I would like to suggest that God's faithfulness is not judged by how we view the circumstances or our satisfaction with the circumstances in which we find ourselves when difficult things happen. I think most believe in one of three options, and it's kind of pictured by Rabbi Kushner in a book that was written some years ago, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he, he kind of summarizes the book in, in three ways. He says, number one, uh, in judging God's character and God's ability and God's power and God's sovereignty. Number one, God is good, but not powerful is one item that he proposes. Uh, God cares and he would change things if he could, if he were able. I would say that's a pretty hopeless proposition. In fact, R.C. Sproul, um, Interesting radio speaker says, there is precious little sovereignty left in many people's idea of God's sovereignty. And I think that is so true today, folks. Number two, Rabbi Kushner proposes, God is powerful, but he does not care. Well, that's equally hopeless, and I don't believe that that's a biblical principle either. Third, I think we're getting closer now. God is both all-powerful and good. And God cares and he could change things if he chooses to. And as we, as we look at our world and we look at our lives, I believe there's the mix of the blessing of creation and the brokenness of the fall. And in all of that, God is working out his sovereign purpose. And when prayers for relief are not answered the way that we wish, or prayers for protection or prayers for healing, I believe it's because there's a larger purpose in God's kingdom. In our housing search, uh, we sold our home. We lived in Easter for 14 years. We saw, sold our home in the middle of July of last year. I've been looking on the internet on Zillow and various real estate sites for a little ranch up in uh, the Clark Summit, Scranton, Dalton, Pennsylvania area and just couldn't find anything that was a fit for us or in the right price range uh, or the right layout. And, uh, you know, we're looking for one of those homes for older people with no stairs, and, you know, that kind of thing. And folks, we were, we were getting discouraged and uh, we were really disappointed that we weren't able to find a place. We wanted to go to the Clark Summit area. I have a sister who is a widow. Her husband was a professor at uh, then Baptist Bible College years ago. 
we had two grandchildren, a daughter, son-in-law, living in Dalton, Pennsylvania. We wanted to live near them. It seemed like the right thing to do. And, uh, and we had opportunity to live for some months at Missionary Retreat Fellowship up in Mount Cobb, Pennsylvania. By the way, if you're unaware of it, check it out on the internet, Missionary Retreat Fellowship. It's a wonderful place for missionaries to spend up to a year while they're on furlough or people in ministry, in between ministries. Um, it is a, it's a wonderful place up in the Poconos. They have a variety of homes and apartments. We rented an apartment there inexpensively and while we were looking for a place in Clark Summit. And while we were looking, we're saying, Lord, you know, we're praying about, Lord, we just, we just need to find a place. And we came across a song during this period of time called Sovereign Over Us. And in that song, there is a phrase that says, he is working in our waiting. And we believe that, that, uh, that we just clung to that. That became an anchor for us of God's faithfulness and the sufficiency of God's grace. He is working in our waiting, and we're going to wait. Well, as time would have it, uh, my son-in-law had opportunity for a little better uh, employment opportunity. They had vacationed with my other, my middle daughter, who lives in Wells, Maine, and they grew to like that area very much. You know where I'm going, don't you? <laughs> and so our grandchildren and our son-in-law and daughter moved to Wells, Maine. They happened to have a small fixer-upper, a three-bedroom ranch house, which is kind of what we were looking for. So in order to facilitate the move, we bought their house. And as we look back on it, we thought, you know what? During that time at MRF, God was working in us in the waiting as we moved from a 2,300 square foot colonial to a 967 square foot three bedroom ranch. And we're happy about it. And we're happy that we could help our daughter and son-in-law and their family move to a setting that is just a wonderful setting for us. And they're in a wonderful church up there in Wells, Maine, in Kennebunk. And, uh, and as I hammer away and saw away and, and turn on my table saw to uh, make some improvements to the house, I'm thinking, you know what? God has his purpose. God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. He was working in our waiting. And sufficient is God's grace is the other anchor I, that I believe that we need to mentally put down so that we don't wind up in mind drift. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul speaking the words that God had given to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And here's the context. These are the, 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 uh, the words that the Lord gave to Paul when Paul asked for relief from his disability. Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I don't know what it was. I, I think people tend to think that uh, Paul's thorn somehow relates to their particular physical issue. Like I knew one individual that thought it was stuttering. Of course, this person was a stutterer. Or uh, I've heard the suggestion that maybe he struggled with depression. 
Or maybe it was his eyesight. I tend to think it was an eyesight because I have a blind spot down here in the lower right quadrant. So by the way, if you go to shake my hand this morning and I don't respond, it's probably, it's not because I'm a germ phobia. I probably just didn't see your hand, <laughs> okay? Um, and uh, so if you're standing on my right side, beware, because if I start heading that direction, I might bump into you before I realize you're there. Uh, so was it Paul's eyesight? I don't know. Uh, but we do know this. Paul called it a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And in this verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, there are two declarations that are made. One is for, one is, uh, for Paul, one is about God. Number one, for Paul, God says, my grace is sufficient for you in this circumstance. And then the declaration about God. My strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And I believe that God delights to do unusual things through individuals who have very modest abilities. He delights to use the weak to do extraordinary things. Why? Because then we say, that must have been a God thing. You know, sometimes, you know, God works in a variety of ways. Sometimes he will substitute our thorn for in providing relief. And sometimes he just adds something. In Paul's case, he, he, how did he change Paul's situation? He didn't remove the affliction, but he added grace. And I don't know what your situation might be, but whatever it is, whether, whether God chooses to remove the affliction, remove the disappointment, remove the difficulty and substitute it with something else, or whether he just adds his grace to your situation. I think Paul's mindset is really healthy and we need to embrace this when Paul says, therefore, I will glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me for when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul chose to submit to the sovereign purpose of a faithful God who provides sufficient grace, two anchors, no mind drift. There's another example of someone that, uh, that I did some reading on as, as I worked in the area of uh, people with special needs, familiar name, Johnny Erickson Tata. And talk about someone who God used in a marvelous way on a worldwide basis through her affliction. As she experienced a diving accident, most of you know she became a quadriplegic and was a driving force in, in introducing the gospel to so many people with special needs and disabilities. Jenny Erickson said this, no trial, no disease, no illness, no accident or injury reaches us apart from God's permission. Even if a cripple is healed or an intellectual disability is cured, it's only temporary. Life is short. And in the short term, Johnny says, God sometimes permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. I tell you, these are words of wisdom from one who knows one who has been there, 
one who has experienced far more difficulties and challenges in life than I have. And she accepted her crippling injury as God's sovereign plan, and her life had national, worldwide impact. And I believe that through all of this, the gospel became beautiful and believable through the life of Johnny and her response to her difficult storm in life. Now, some, sometimes God will use the affliction to leverage his grace, his strength, his purpose, his kingdom work through our lives. So if you're an unbeliever today, let me just say, you know what? You can't out-sin God's grace. Because, you know, there's no better example of the mystery of the sovereignty and purpose of God than what we see accomplished in the cross of Christ. And that was accomplished for you and for me. It was no accident. It was not that God was not powerful enough or that he did not care enough to save Jesus from the cross. But here's God's sovereign purpose, out, the outworking of his purpose in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Through 34, let me just read a phrase. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God whom you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Folks, this was the supreme demonstration of God's sovereign purpose. And for you and for me, it ought to be a source of immeasurable comfort and peace. I mean, even, even the disciples were in despair when Jesus was crucified. It was only after the resurrection that they began to understand that this was God's larger kingdom purpose and that this was the very means of salvation by which we would have a right standing before God. And that's why I say, if you're an unbeliever here today, you cannot out God's grace. And God's sovereign plan provided a way for you to know the joy and security of being a child of God. It is, it is a gift waiting for you to claim. I, I, I went in Home Depot a couple days ago uh, to get some, some items for our home remodeling project. And as I entered the door, I looked to the left and there was a, a, a locker, a very large locker with about, uh, well, maybe a dozen compartments, all th that were locked. And that was where if you order something online that could fit in that locker, you could come and pick up your item there in that storage locker. And as I walked through, I thought, hmm, isn't that interesting? Your stuff could be there, but it doesn't become yours until you claim it. And I was reminded of John 1.12, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. But you must claim it. And for the believer today, I believe the words to you is, my grace is sufficient. You cannot exhaust it. And whether it's your need is spiritual or material or physical, God's grace is sufficient. And I believe it was the, the end of uh, Dr. Jeremiah's uh, message that we heard in Sunday School this morning when a couple who was going through great difficulty said, God has trusted us with trouble for our good and for his glory. 
So what do we do? What do we do with all this? We put down the anchor, great is God's faithfulness, sufficient is God's grace. What do we do? We just sit back and pass the resignation? No, I think we need to take deliberate mental action. I, I came across a book by Max Licata recently called Anxious for Nothing. It's a, a setting of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he gives an acrostic that I think becomes a good reminder for us. He uses the word calm. The C standing for celebrate God. Celebrate God individually and corporately. Praise God for who he is. Be reminded of his greatness and the sufficiency of his grace and his kindness and his steadfast love. A stands for ask specifically. Let your request be made known to God. Ask specifically. L, leave it with the Lord. Don't manipulate it. Don't try to make it happen yourself. Leave it with the Lord. And M, meditate on positive truth. Will it be that positive truth? Well, two things we're suggesting. Great is thy faithfulness. Sufficient is thy grace. So the question is, how does that translate into real life? I want to quote um, from a book called Everyday Prayers. I don't know whether any of you have come across this book or not. I would highly recommend it to you. It's written by Scotty Smith, a prayer for every day of the week. And he writes in a way that is just, uh, it, it, is, it is riveting. Um, at one moment, you'll, he'll make you laugh. Another moment, you'll be in deep conviction. He is a very interesting writer and uh, writes with, with great depth. Everyday prayers. Um, you, can, you can buy it on Amazon. Any one of those prayers for September 23rd, a prayer for wrestling with the sovereignty of God. And Scotty Smith writes, So, Father, as much as I find comfort seen in Jesus' cross, why do I struggle with your working anywhere else? Why do I want to reverse roles and make me the potter and treat you like malleable clay? Why do I pr prefer at times to have a Play-Doh God instead of a sovereign father? I don't have any problems with you setting up and sitting down presidents and premiers but when it comes to things that are limiting and inconvenient to my life, I often question your goodness. Free me from such foolishness. You are always at work for your glory and our good. Um, in conclusion, let me just share a song with you. Um, the song Sovereign Over Us that Jack and I came across some months ago that has become very meaningful to us that kind of summarizes the greatness, the sovereignty of God and an and outlook that I believe that we need to have as we face the storms of life.
there is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in the morning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined. Raining high above the heavens. Reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly. Compassionate and kind. You surround and you uphold me. And your promises are my delight. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Even what the enemy means for evil, you work it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You're faithful forever, perfect 
love, you are sovereign over us. Yes.